How much is enough for them? Dollars. One third of that comes from hard work. Two thirds comes from an inheritance. Interest on interest accumulating the widow's idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. It's bull. You got 90% of the American public out there with little or no net worth. I create nothing. I own. We make the rules, pal. The news, war, peace, spam and upheaval, the price of paper clip. We pick that rabbit out of the hat while everybody sits out there wondering how the hell we did it. Now, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? Now, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? Now, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? I think you're the fucking antichrist. Our once and future middle class is fading. Their share of the nation's income is shrinking, while the share going to the top is growing. Wages are at an all-time low as a percentage of the economy, and chronic unemployment is at the highest level since the Great Depression. But the richest Americans now hold more wealth than at any time in modern history. This gross inequality didn't just happen. It was made to happen. It was politically engineered by powerful players in Washington and on Wall Street. You can read how they did it in this book, Winner Take All Politics, by two of the country's top political scientists, Jacob Hacker and Paul Pearson. Quote, we wanted to know how our economy stopped working to provide prosperity and security for the broad middle class. That's what you saw. Now, I think a lot of people know that inequality has grown in the United States, but, but saying that inequality has grown doesn't begin to describe what's happened. You know, the, the startling statistic that we have in the book is that if you take all of the income gains from 1979 to 2007, so all the increased household income over that period, around 40% of those gains went to the top 1%. And if you, if you look at the bottom 90%, they had less than that combined. It is not just a you know, one or two year story. I mean, we've seen a terrible economy over the last few years, and the last decade is now being called the lost decade because there was no growth in middle incomes. Um, there, was no, there was an increase in the share of Americans without health insurance. More people are poor. So there was a, a terrible 10 years. But we were actually looking at the last 30 years and seeing that the middle class had only gotten ahead to the extent that it had because of families working more hours. But we've all known for a long time that the rich were getting richer and the middle class was barely holding its own. I mean, that was no mystery, right? Oh, it is. I, it's a mystery when you start to look beneath the familiar common statement that inequality has grown. Because when we think about rising inequality, we think, oh, it's the, you know, the haves versus the have-nots. That you know, The top third of the income distribution, say, is pulling away from the bottom third. And what we found is it's not the haves versus the have-nots, it's the have-it-alls versus the rest of Americans. You set out to try to solve three mysteries. Who done it? Who created the circumstances and conditions for the creation of a winner-take-all economy? And your answer to that in one sentence is? American politics did it. Um, far more than we would have believed when we started this research. What government has done and not done 
and the politics that produced it is really at the heart of the rise of an economy that has showered huge riches uh, on the very, very, very well off. It's the politics, stupid. Exactly. How did they do it? Through organized combat. It's the short answer. And why did they do it? Because they could. Because they could. Because they could. American media is a business. Business has a mission. Not to inform but to entertain them. It's never hearts and minds. It's never the threat of communism or the spread of peace. It's business. The problem with the truth is, is that the truth is. You can't really shift the truth, that's why it's the truth. No matter how many facts you try to throw at it, no matter your angle or perceptions, you can't really spin the truth. You can spin perception, and the perception may affect your thought process and therefore your reality view of the truth. But the truth is. Hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, we'll be able to merge our system with theirs, and of course with those of the rest of the world, to form some kind of a world brotherhood, a world union. A world government, to be exact. Uh, the fact that the Washington Post had to brief America that uh, Homeland Security finds it okay to detain your electronic media, your laptop or anything, your, your iPod, uh, when you come into an airport in America, a foreigner or an American citizen. One thing is for certain, and that is that there's a lot of crazy stuff flying through the air. It doesn't matter who's responsible for it, but what does matter is that there's a lot of different material that we can't see that is being broadcast through the air. Now, it's true that maybe some of it out there is mind control. And now, for news for And it's a new day on the internet. Today is Monday, January 16th, 2012. This day in history, 1936, serial killer Albert Fish was executed at Sing Sing Prison. Uh, that leaves a nice, nice warm feeling in the cockles of your heart. Of course, the, uh, the old wives' tale is that they had to zap him multiple times in the electric chair to kill him because of the uh, needles and other sharp implements that he inserted under his skin. Of course, uh, sadly, that is just a fable of Americana. They only had to zap them once. <laughs> but, nevertheless, great day in history. And you are listening to the brand new blasphemy that is Newsreel X. The new! New, 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 new. Wog Global sit rep on core political tyranny, technology, and trends for your headspace and timing. The news you need and I need to stay alive and fight against the core political tyranny that's trying to enslave you. Ah, oh, that's it. Just, it sounds good. <laughs> you stick all those words together, they don't mean much by themselves, but uh, string them together in a line and they, uh, they sound like something to get behind. <laughs> it's a good rallying of the troops. Makes you want to get up and uh, kick some ass, take some names, chew some bubblegum. Now I wonder... How long Sean took to write that? How many drafts did he go through before the uh, the words were just right? You know, it's kind of like Lennon and McCartney sitting in the studio strumming a few chords. And uh, would Penny Lane be the same if it was called Nickel Lane? Anyway, you can follow along and check out my facts at my Facebook feel strange calling it my facts it's uh more you can check out the facts at my facebook it's facebook.com forward slash newsreel x 
You are free to distribute, penetrate, masticate, or do anything else you want with this podcast as you see fit. Right now, we are not broadcasting from Second Life. We are broadcasting from the cynically cold First Life. The life that does not include buxom goth chicks breaking into my house to rape me in the middle of the night. Yep, that's First Life. And it fucking sucks. So let's get right into it. In short-lived corporations are people news. So I guess in short-living people news. Uh, Short-lived firm dissolves after $1 million pro-Romney donation. This is both from NPR.org as well as NBC News. A mystery company has pumped $1 million into a political action committee backing Mitt Romney. They've been dissolved just months after it was formed, leaving few clues as to who is behind one of the biggest contributions yet of the 2012 campaign. The existence of the million-dollar donation, as gleamed from campaign and corporate records obtained by NBC News, provides a big example of how secret campaign cash is being funneled into the political system. The company, <laughs> WSPAN, which should be called WSPAM, was formed in March by a Boston lawyer who specialized in estate tax planning. According to the corporate records, the lawyer and his bio on the firm's website. So, um, this guy, uh, let's see, let's find his name here. Cameron Casey started this uh, uh, company called WSPAN LLC. And um, listed his address as being in a midtown Manhattan office building. The thing is, when NBC started looking around for this, they never were in the office building. So he forms a corporation in March, gives the donation in April, and then just before the pack has to go and give documentation of who they got the money from, he files the, the correct paperwork to dissolve the LLC. So uh, what was a um, nothing became a, uh, a person, and then it became nothing again. The real question I have with all of this, and of course uh, with Mitt Romney being as uh, conservative as he is, is does that count as abortion? <laughs> corporations are people, and uh, this corporation was terminated uh, well before its lifespan was lived out. Um, I think you should really look into that. So anyway, after uh, Span was dissolved and uh, Romney's little super PAC that uh, supposedly he has no um, no ties to took the money, um, now nobody knows really where the money came from. They know that there was an LLC at one point that was together, and uh, the LLC had given its money. But who else was behind the money that went to uh, Romney? It, it, it leads to a scary thing that... Um, even though the Citizens United ruling said that corporations could give uh, could give money directly, especially to super PACs, you gotta wonder who is behind all of this. Who are the people that are in the boardroom, or uh, not even a boardroom? Who are these people that are uh, conspiring to uh, to to buy our government? Now, Stephen Colbert definitely said all of that uh, much better than I did when he was on. TV the other night. Uh, what damn show was that? I'm gonna have to pull the clip. Hold on. And I found it. It was ABC's Sunday. Because money equals speech. It doesn't matter if the speech comes from money or comes from your mouth. So you agree with the Supreme Court on almost everything. 
Money equals speech. Therefore, the more money you have, the more you can speak. That, that's, that's just, that just stands to reason. If corporations are people, corporations should be able to speak. That's why I believe in super PACs. So you believe in super PACs. You believe they are a full expression of the First Amendment. Without a doubt. Do you not, George? Uh, do you not believe that some... I'm asking the question are you today, saying, Mr. Well, Trump. you answer one of my questions, I'll answer one of yours. Do you believe that corporations are people? I, I am not going to weigh in on that. I mean, we're going to have a long campaign here, but I'll really, know what corporations you think about are that. corporations are people. You won't weigh in on whether some people are people. That seems kind of racist, George. <laughs> oh, he kills me with that stuff. Um, I, I I do have a very soft spot in my heart for Mr. Colbert. Um, his satire and his wit, uh, his intelligence, uh, blow me away. The thing that frustrates me. To go on a uh, a tangent here, is the fact that um, both him and uh, Stewart have uh, have a large audience. They have a lot of money backing them. Um, you know, they're part of the machine. They're part of the problem. Uh, they could be using uh, the place that they stand at a, at a much better mission than just getting laughs. Like. Uh, we all like to laugh, and we all like to laugh at the expense of, uh, of others, um, especially when the others are, um, are, are people that don't seem to uh, be aware of what's really going on. But, but we can laugh all we want, but we're going to end up laughing ourselves right into a grave. Um, it's not going to change anything. So uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. I'll probably say it a million times. I, I love the uh, Daily Show and the Colbert Report, um, but they are part of the problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing with me, you guys. <laughs> so in land of the free, TM news. I have a, uh, a great article written here called 10 Reasons the U.S. is no longer the land of the free." Um, which we hear this a lot, you know, you could uh, walk down the street and see any, uh, any sort of fellow from a redneck good old boy to a, um, a grungy, dirty hippie saying, oh, America's not free anymore, but it certainly, uh, takes a different tone and means a whole lot more when a guy named Jonathan Turley is saying this. Uh, if you've never heard of Jonathan Turley before, he's, uh, Professor Jonathan Turley. A uh, nationally recognized legal scholar who has written extensively in the areas ranging from constitutional law to legal theory to tort law. Uh, he's a guy's very respected in the legal community. He's been a frequent witness before the House and the Senate on constitutional and statutory issues, as well as tort reform. Uh, he's ranked in the 38th, he's ranked 38th, look at that, 38th, in the top 100 most cited public intellectuals in a recent study by Judge Richard Posner. Also, he's uh, the second most cited law professor in the country. So uh, I guess if you're watching Law and Order and they uh, were referencing somebody, it's uh, it could be a pretty good chance they're referencing Mr. Jonathan Turley here. Uh, he was also selected in 2010 and 2011 as one of the 100 top Irish lawyers in the world. Which, um, there's probably a joke in there. Um, about 100 Irish lawyers, but, um, I can't think of it. Anyway, so he writes, Mr. Jonathan Turley writes, uh, Every year the State Department issues reports on individual rights in other countries, monitoring the passage of restrictive laws and regulations around the world. 
Iran, for example, has been criticized for denying fair public trials and limiting privacy, while Russia has taken to task for undermining due process. Other countries have been condemned for the use of secret evidence and torture. Even as we pass judgment on countries we consider unfree, America remains confident that any definition of a free nation must include their own, the land of the free, <laughs> home of the brave as well. Yet the laws and practices of the land should shake that confidence. In the decades since September 11th, 2001, this country has comprehensively reduced civil liberties in the name of an expanded security state. Oh, it sounds almost like Alex Jones there. The most recent example of this was the National Defense Authorization Act, signed December 31st in the middle of the night. As that ball was dropping, uh, the president's pen was scribbling away. Uh, well, this December 31st, which allows for the infinite detention of citizens. At what point does the reduction of individual rights in our country change how we define ourselves? Anyway, first thing I want to say about uh, the opening of this is if any uh, idiot says, oh, well, the uh, detention is not for American citizens, you could always point and say, hey, do you know Jonathan Turley? He has something different to say about that. So anyway, the list of the powers required, sorry, acquired by the U.S. government since 9-11 puts us in rather troubling company. So here we go. Uh, the top ten are not done in a countdown fashion. It would have been great if they were sort of uh, coming in at number three. I get to use my radio voice on that one. But anyway, the assassination of U.S. citizens comes in at number ten. President Obama has claimed, as uh, G.W. Bush before him, the right to order the killings of any citizen considered a terrorist. At number nine, we got indefinite detention. Under the law signed last month, terrorism suspects are to be held by the military. The president can also have the authority to indefinitely detain citizens accused of terrorism. Of course, if we go back to the story I spoke of last week, where they want to make anyone who speaks out about um, the rights of animals or of uh, the food we eat as terrorists, that could be anybody. Okay, at number eight, arbitrary justice. The president now decides whether a person will receive a trial in the federal courts or in a military tribunal. A system that's been ridiculed around the world for lacking basic due process protections. Number seven. Coming in at number seven with a bullet, we got warrantless searches. The president may now order warrantless surveillance, including a new capability to force companies and organizations to turn over information on citizens' finances. Hey, was that a big black dildo you bought last month? At number six and slowly falling, secret evidence. The government now routinely uses secret evidence to detain individuals and employs secret evidence in federal and military courts. At number five, war crimes. Oh, this is this is once close to my heart. <laughs> Where the hell is Kissinger anyway? The world clamored for prosecutions of those responsible for water-building terrorism suspects during the Bush administration, but the Obama administration said in 2009 that it would not allow CIA employees to be investigated or prosecuted for such actions. This gutted not just treaty obligations, but the Nuremberg Principles of International Law. At number four this week, we have secret courts. The government has increased its use of the Secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Wow, say that three times quick. Which has expanded its secret warrants to include individuals deemed to be aiding and or abetting hostile foreign governments or organizations. So for you guys out there, that's double secret probation. 
At number three, immunity from judicial review. Like the Bush administration, the Obama administration has successfully pushed for immunity for companies that assist in warrantless surveillance of citizens, blocking the ability of citizens to challenge the violation of privacy. At number two, we got continual monitoring of citizens, which uh, we'll get into a little bit more in the next story. The Obama administration has successfully defended its claim that it can use GPS devices to monitor every move of targeted citizens without securing any court orders to boot. Wow, that's fun. And coming in at number one, surprise to nobody, it's the Extraordinary Renditions. The government now has the ability to transfer both citizen, you and me and everybody else, maybe your mama, and not as citizens, uh, non-citizens, non-citizens, that's a lot of people, to another court under a system known as Extraordinary Rendition. Man, I remember I saw Extraordinary Rendition open up for Skinny Puppy. It was like 1988, 89. Anyway, um... We have just dropped this week's top 10 on you. And I got a letter. This letter says, Dear Casey Kasem, My rights have been taken away and I've been dragged off for extraordinary rendition. What would really make this day a little bit better is if you could play a song for me. Maybe something by the Afghan Whigs. A little something called, What Jail is Really Like? Love, Ahmed. Well, Ahmed. There's no reason why I couldn't meet their request, but for just for you, a little what jail is really like. And listen to us next week as we drop another 10 on you. This is Casey Casey. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, sometimes, sometimes I just go off on a little bit of tangent. But anyway, in drinking to your health news, I picked this up. Uh, where the hell did I pick this up? Oh, much like that rash. Where the hell did I pick this up? I picked this up from health.yahoo.net. These are experts saying here are 10 surprisingly, 10 surprising and healthy reasons to cheer about your next beer. Um, as you all might know about me after the second show, um, I like to drink. I like to drink a lot. In fact, when I first read about the evils of drinking, I stopped reading. So, um, this article here has brought me back. So, number one, strong bones. Beer contains high levels of silicon, which is linked to bone health. In a 2009 study at Tufts University, older men and women who swigged one or two drinks daily had higher bone density. Ooh. I told this girl once I had a higher bone density. She didn't believe me. Number two, a stronger heart. A 2011 analysis of 16 early studies involving more than 200,000 people conducted by researchers at Italy's blah, 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 found a 31% reduced risk of heart disease in those who quaffed about a pint of beer a day. What about us that do three or four pints of beer a day? Number three, and this is a real surprising one, healthier kidneys, a study in Finland. <laughs> Singled out beer among other alcoholic drinks, finding that each bottle of beer men drink daily lowered the risk of developing kidney stones by 40%. One theory is that beer's high water content helped keep kidneys working, since dehydration increases kidney stone risk. 
And number four, also surprising the shit out of me, is boosting brain health. A beer a day may help Alzheimer's disease and other dementia and keep them at bay. A 2005 study tracking the health of 11,000 older women showed that moderate drinking, those who consumed about one drink a day, lowered their, lowered their risk of mental decline as well as lowered their skirts. Number five, reduced risk of cancer. A Portuguese study found that marinating steak and beer never tried that before usually um a good steak um you know get a get a good um, organic steak from a, a local butcher or from a co-op uh i don't know like uh some garlic some black pepper a little bit of worcestershire sauce a little bit of olive oil let it sit for a while but anyway a uh, Portuguese study found that marinating steak and beer eliminates almost 70% of the carcinogens produced when the meat is pan-fried. Pan-frying a steak? What kind of steaks are these people buying? You're either going to broil or you're going to grill the damn steak. Unless it's a really, really cheap piece of meat that I'm going to uh, flash burn on each side before I stick in the oven to seal in any juices that it may have. It's not touching a fucking frying pan. Anyway... Number six, boosting vitamin needs. A Dutch study performed at the TNO Nutrition and Food Research Institute found that beer drinking participants had 30% higher levels of vitamin B6 levels in their blood than their non-drinking counterparts. Oh, well, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Seven, guarding against stroke. Researchers at the Harvard School of Public Health great drunk guys down there in Harvard, found that moderate amounts of alcohol, including beer, help to prevent blood clots. Number eight, reduced risk of diabetes. Drink up a 2011 Harvard study, those Harvard boys again, and about 38,000 middle-aged women and men found that those who only drank occasionally raised their alcohol intake to one or two beers or other drinks. Their risk of developing type 2 diabetes dropped by 25%. So I think they're saying here that if they, they used to drink occasionally, changed it to uh, one or two a day, and they dropped 25% in their risk of diabetes. Number nine, lower blood pressure. Wine is fine for your heart, but beer may be even better. I like to hear that. Number 10, a longer life. In 2005, a review of 50 studies, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, reported that moderate drinkers live longer. Helen, we have a fun time doing it. Wow, at least the USDA was right about something. Uh, the USC, USDA also estimates that modern drinking prevents about 26,000 deaths a year. But of course, all the drunk driving we do wipes those right out and we're back into negative numbers. Ah. Uh, so, if we've learned anything from this last article, is that having a, uh, a drink or two a day could be very good for your health. And just like any other medicine, if a little is good, then a lot is fucking great. And Big Brother is watching news. Shh. Of course we're being monitored, Birdman. <laughs> Monitors? Don't you know? Every cellular phone, no matter how small, no matter how perfectly tiny and miniature, every month a new one smaller and smaller but somehow more powerful, crammed with more amazingly clever but needless features, the... I'm sorry, I believe I got off point. Every phone has a serial number. 
A serial number? Shh, yes. And every conversation you have on it bounces to a giant monitoring station. A monitoring station? I will shrink you. Yes, a monitoring station quietly hidden underneath the cornfields in... We interrupt to remind you that we are currently at code moving pictures. Anyways, just cutting in to remind you of our threat level and interrupting so you don't hear that the monitoring station's in Iowa. Every conversation is scanned for key words. Here, give me your phone. I'll show you. Um, <laughs> Hello. Mail bomb. Uh, <laughs> um, Assassination. Hey, can I have that back? I just remember. Fertilizer. I'm almost out of minutes. Same-sex marriages. Patagonia. Nader for president. See? Nothing happened. Nobody's monitoring these things. <laughs> huh. I always took Reducto for a libertarian. <laughs> oh, that kills me. Wow, today's been a show full of comedy. <laughs> so, um, that little clip from Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, um, it points out a little something about uh, the government intrusion and monitoring and um, <laughs> how we look paranoid when we start telling people this stuff that... Uh, you know, your cell phones, they, uh, they know what you're doing. They're listening to your cell phones. And uh, Facebook, they know, they know what you're doing. They know what you're writing. Uh, of, oh, and when you, when you go to HuffPo and you post, post a little comment talking about uh, what, whatever's hot that day, uh, they know what you're doing. I got a great story here from the Electronic Pirate Privacy Information Center. I wanted to say Piracy Information Center. But close enough. Electronic Privacy Information Center. This is... Um, We'll just call them Epic from now on. Electronic Privacy uh, Information Center. Uh, this is a great thing for their website. Um, this is really uh, the up-to-date news on uh, their Freedom of Information Acts regarding Department of Homeland Security Media Monitoring Program. I'm just going to go through here real quick, so uh, try to keep up. Epic is pursuing a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security for information about the agency's surveillance of social networks and news organizations. This is back in February. In February 2011, the Department of Homeland Security announced that the agency planned to implement a program that would monitor media content, including social media data. So here they are coming right out and saying, we're going to monitor social media data. And when you try to tell that to people, they laugh at you. The proposed initiatives would gather information from online forums, blogs, public websites, and message boards. How is that rant message board going tonight? And disseminate the information to federal, state, local, and foreign governments, and also, for the real kicker, private sector partners, quote-unquote. Um, of course, that line blurs more and more between government and private sector partners. The program would be executed in part by individuals who established fictitious usernames and passwords to create covert social media profiles to spy on other users. When is it going to hit the point where they just start asking us to spy on each other? Well, I know when you go to Walmart in the checkout line, we have... Uh, uh, Miss Homeland Security telling us to look for anything odd. But of course, every time I go to Walmart, there's something fucking odd. You know, just go to peoplewalmart.com and tell me nothing odd is going on there. Sometimes I think that the people at Walmart, like the real fucking weird ones, they're aliens. And they're trying to blend in. Okay. The agency stated it would store personal information from all this fun stuff for up to five years. 
Um, we'll just take that as forever. So here we go. It's uh, updated. So uh, Epic has filed a Freedom of Information Act against the Department of Homeland Security to force disclosure of the details of the agency's social network monitoring program. In news reports and a federal register notice, the DHS has stated that it will routinely monitor the public postings of users on Twitter and Facebook, which we'll call Failbook from now on. The agency plans to create fictitious user accounts and scan posts of users for key terms. Nader for president. User data will be stored for five years, forever, and shared with other gov government agencies and Coca-Cola. The legal authority of the DHS program remains unclear. Hmm. I'd like to just come out and say that. So here we go. Uh, updated again in April. Um, we're getting to the now, so just bear with me. In April uh, 12th, 2011, Epic submitted a, uh, another Freedom of Information Act request to the DHS seeking agency records detailing the media monitoring program. And the request sought the following documents. All contracts, proposals, and communications between uh, our government and any third parties, including but not limited to H.B. Uh, Gary Federal, Planeteer Technologies, and or Barico Technologies, and or parent of subsidiary companies that include provisions concerning the capability of social media monitoring technology to capture store, aggregate, analyze, and or match personally identified identifiable information personally identifiable information with all the pictures of my cat that I post on failbook is that a personally identifiable information especially if I put like words on the picture anyway all contracts proposals communications between DHS and any states localities tribes territories and foreign governments all documents used by DHS for internal training of staff and personnel regarding social media monitoring, including correspondences and communications between DHS, the internal staff and personnel, and or private officers regarding the receipt, use, and or implementation of training and evaluation of these documents. All documents detailing the technical specifications of social media monitoring software. Now that's something that I'm really interested in. Of course, years ago, our government started that whole um, matrix thing, pulling in information um, at the speed of technology. I bet this is some really, 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 really frightening, frightening software they got now, including any security measures to protect records, collected information analysis. So after they um, pull our lives of all this uh, of private data that we're uh, pushing out there right in their faces, um, are they keeping it safe? Well, it said earlier that they were sharing it with um, third parties that have nothing to do with the government, so I would say that's a big no. It's probably how they're funding a lot of the program is by selling the information afterwards. Uh, and also, they're asking for all documents concerning data breaches. <sighs> yeah, they're going to come out and say that. Um, Noting the extraordinary public interest in the plan and the public's right to comment on the measures, Epic asks the DHS to expedite the process of this request. Yeah, I bet went bet back in April, they went right back into the circular bin. On April 28th, the agency acknowledged the receipt of it, of the uh, Freedom of Information Ask, Act, but denied the request for the expedited processing and not, did not make any substantive determination regarding the request. The DHS did not disclose any records and correspondencing 
On May 18th, Epic appealed the DHS's failure for timely uh, timely determination. So they were saying, hey, uh, what the hell is going on here? Hurry this up. And it wasn't until December 20th, 2011, Epic filed another lawsuit to compel the disclosure of the documents. And finally, after December and January 2012, just a little bit ago, this is on the 16th. Well, that's today. Uh, the DHS disclosed 285 pages of agency records in response to the Freedom of Information Act, which I'm really surprised they, they let out so little. In situations like this, it seems like if they uh, dropped a bomb of information on Epic and the rest of us, you know, by putting it out there and saying, hey, have fun, here's... Uh, 500,000 pages of, of documentation. Have fun going through it and trying to parse what is important from what is uh, complete BS. But here, in January, 256, uh, sorry, 285 pages of agency records. So, let's talk about some of these records. This is where the, um, the fit hits the shan. Um... Epic's lawsuit forced the DHS to close 285 pages of records. The documents included contracts, price estimates, privacy impact assessments, and communications concerning DHS media monitoring program. Media monitoring. These records make public for the first time the details of DHS's effort to spy on social network users and also journalists. Ooh. <laughs> It's not just us, uh, us losers with Facebook, um, it's also the journalists are looking at. The record revealed that the DHS is paying a company called General Dynamics. Uh, truth be told, I don't know much about them. Um, I was going to dig in before starting the show, but um, after having a very large dinner and a couple glasses of, um, of bourbon, I ran out of, ran out of juice. So it looks like I'll be digging into General Dynamics past in our next show. So the records reveal the DHS is paying General Dynamics to monitor the news. The agency instructed the company to monitor for, quote, media reports that reflect adversely on the U.S. government, comma, DHS, comma, or prevent, protect, respond government activities. Um, so here which on the epic.org website, which you can grab the link from my Facebook. <laughs> Maybe I should get rid of my Facebook, actually. Uh, find another fancy place to, um, to put this. So, when you go there, you're able to see some of the documentation, and they have some highlighted pieces um, pointing out, uh, yes, identifying media reports reflect adversely to the U.S. government. They want to know about that. DHS is also attempting to capture public reaction to major government proposals, which um, they were probably doing very well with this whole SOPA thing. I know um, it's really on the tip of all our tongues, and um, it was just this morning that, um, or it started last night and going into this morning, that both uh, the president and some of the original sponsors of the bill started to back off a little bit, but of course after... Um, after what uh, Obama did with the uh, the NDAA, saying that uh, oh I'll, I'll veto it if it gets to my desk, and then it comes out right in uh, congressional record that the uh, the administration had asked for these uh, the, the kind of freaky parts about um, the detainment. 
Um, and then when it got to his desk, of course, he didn't veto it. So after after things like that, and of course after, um, you know, well, well, I'll close Gitmo and all those other fun things. Um, do, do people listen to politicians at all, anyway, when they make these promises? But after, after these things, it's... Um, I, I really have no trust that we've seen the end of SOPA. But um, on this uh, capturing public reaction to major government proposals, I think a lot of this is also for um, when they're trying to roll something out like SOPA or um, uh, a PIPA um, or anything else. Um, you know, even a, a terrorist attack or, or a black flag or whatever. Um, they start to do the uh, or war, hell, with with Iran. I think it it seems like it's been a few times that we've been pushed up to almost the brink of war and then um, back back down. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is part of it. There's enough outcry. It's like oh shit, the uh, citizens are still paying attention. Nope, we can't do that yet. So um, with this SOPA stuff, I'd like to make a premonition right now. It's a sad one. Um, it won't be pushed through as, as the bill as it is now. What they'll do is they'll, they'll kill the bill down a little bit, um, take out some of its real teeth, push it through, and then start pushing other amendments through as part of other bills, probably military spending bills or um, maybe something like a jobs bill or something else will have tied to it some, um, some other parts of SOPA that couldn't originally get pushed through on their own. Um, but that's a premonition, um, January 16th, 2012. <laughs> Let's hope it does not come true or else you probably won't be hearing this ever again. Uh, the DHS has directed the social media monitoring company to generate reports for DHS components and other federal agencies, positive and negative reports. Okay. So they wanted positive and negative reports on these key areas. These were asked for first is a big one, which if, um, if, uh, if you pay any attention to Alex Jones or conspiracy theories or uh, any of that sort of stuff. First one, FEMA. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, do you think there's too many positive reports about, about FEMA camps? Oh, honey, having a job and taking care of you and the kids and the bills and everything is really hard. I wish the government would just roll on in here and detain us all in a nice camp, you know? Three squares and a cot. And then maybe a death chamber. So, positive negative reports on FEMA, CIAA, CBP, and ICE, as well as other organizations outside of DHS. One of the examples of social network monitoring summaries, okay, one of the examples of the social network monitoring summaries is titled Residents Voice Opposition Over Possible Plan to Bring Guantanamo Detainees to Local Prison in Standish. Missouri. The report summarizes dissent on blogs and social networks, sites quoting commenters. So, uh, as I mentioned before, a lot of this probably going towards the um, the halt or the pushback of uh, the rollout on um, fund projects the government has in mind for all of us, uh, all of us fine citizens. This is where it gets kind of funky, though. The DHS... How could this get any worse? It sounds pretty scary already. Um, but here it goes. The DHS instructed the company to monitor public social communities. The records list websites that will be monitored, including the 
comments section of a multitude of newspapers, including the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Huffington Post, Drudge Report, which um, I read Drudge. Um, usually I read it and shake my head because the uh, the headlines usually have nothing to do with the story, but um, usually he has a story listed before anyone else does. Um, but I don't remember them having a comment section. Um, Drudge Report, Wired, and ABC News. What I wonder is, where do they pick these guys and not other guys? So here's some other ones. Um, also, Social Approach, uh, GoUSA.gov, WikiLeaks. If you're out there editing a WikiLeak, watch out. Um, Google Blogs, uh, The Danger Room, Homeland Security Today. Haven't been there. I need to check that one out. Uh, the New York Times blog, Drudge Report, HuffPo, Homeland Security Watch, ABC, Wired, Twitter. So this all came out. Um, they started back in April trying to get this information pushed almost a year back. Um, and they got some interesting stuff. I'd like to see how much uh, they don't have. And I'd, I'd love to see what kind of um, what kind of mech they got going on parsing this information. It's uh, <laughs> and maybe you know if we have some real information we have to hide, isn't the best place to hide it right out in the open? Like you know, if I create a Facebook account pretending I'm a 13 year old girl and I'm suddenly talking about how Justin Bieber is the bomb. And, uh, you know, how he'll be in D.C. next month doing a show, and I think I'll just scream until I explode when I see him. Um, you know, maybe that's the best place to put that sort of information, is, uh, because it has to be filtered out. Imagine, imagine looking through, if you had access to all Facebooks or all Twitter accounts at any time, and you were able to uh, search keywords and, and push through if the information, how much mundane bullshit would you be pushing through? Um, like today on, um, um, on Facebook, I think I commented about uh, someone's uh, cat, and uh, last night I made a comment about, um, about a band, and... Um, I think I also said I was going to be making uh, spaghetti for dinner. So, um, what could be what could be read into that? So, today I'm going to get into some cyberpunk kit and um, going back to simplicity. What does it do? How well does it do it? Uh, this is something I pulled from uh, CheaperThanDirt.com, which is a great site for um, buying ammo. Um, as well as all those uh, fun gun paraphernalia. But this this little piece is something that anyone can own. This is the uh, Columbia River Knife and Tool for uh, about uh, six bucks plus shipping. You're able to get this black Teflon stainless steel D-ring tool. It's a uh, eating tool. It's a uh, spoon-fork combination as well as... Uh, handy bottle opener also uh, side of the handle provides an emergency screwdriver blade which is also good for prying open things the large central hole is not only designed for finger gripping but also keeps the eaten tools weight down the three metric wrench reliefs so we got a 10 millimeter an eight and a six millimeter 
are useful for emergency repairs and results in a tool that is lightweight, just 1.5 ounces for easy snap-on carry. It's got a D-ring as well as a great little carabiner. Well, of course, it's a non-weight-bearing carabiner, so don't go climbing mountains with this thing. So, it's about 4 inches long, 1.5 ounces, made out of the old Teflon with a bottle cap opener and a carabiner. Little built-in spork. So, um, actually, this thing is on sale. <laughs> Not even 6 bucks for $4.13 plus shipping. You can get one of these great little things, which if you're building a bug-out bag, um, if you haven't already, something we'll talk about in the future, I would be getting one of these. And to continue with simplicity, the daily hack today is something that is uh, very simple. Uh, very simple, very, uh, pretty much impractical, um, but could be a fun little electronic project, especially if you live close to an airport. So this is something from Instructables.com. This is how to take an old AM-FM transistor radio, make a little modification inside, no soldering iron needed for this either, and be able to pick up air traffic control messages. Also, uh, civilian, uh, all of the civilian aviation band. So you're going to be pushing this thing so it'll pick up all the way from uh, 108 to one, 100, uh, what's it, uh, 108,000 to 138,000 uh, kilohertz? Is that what it is? Or 108 to 138 kilohertz? Yeah, that's what it'd be. Um, a neat little thing, completely impractical. But uh, you could probably end up going to a Goodwill or somewhere else and picking up a little transistor radio and a little modification. Um, also, at a later date, uh, I want to do a daily hack of how to turn uh, a small transistor radio into a um, small transmitter. So uh, pick up that radio, a little handheld battery-operated radio at a, at a Goodwill or something, and we'll, we'll do both of these things. Uh, that's all I got for you today, but don't worry, I'll be back next week with the news that you need to survive. This show is free to distribute. Give it to Grandma. Give it the finger. Give it a chance. If you have any info you'd like to send me or you'd like to bitch me out, you can reach me at newsreelx at gmail.com. If you like the music in the background, it's been Square Pusher. I think it's all been off of the uh, Music Has a Right to Children album. You'll be hearing um, another track from that after the show. And as a wise man said, we'll never defeat the enemy if we're at each other's throats. Until next time, that's what Sean Kennedy should have said. End of line. constitutionally protected rights.